Sunday, the beginning of that for all summer, which uh, means that our children at the 9 o'clock will be in here through the singing, and, uh, and then they can depart. And so Miss Kristen is back there now, and so if our children want to head back now with Miss uh, Kristen, they can do so. And um, <clears throat> it's always fun. We get to see this at 1030. You get to see the children at the 1030 service, but not the 9 o'clock. And so it's always fun, I think, to be able to see our kids. And uh, I do want to echo kind of what Pastor Scott already said, which is congratulating our seniors and their parents uh, on graduation. I love this season, um, <clears throat> primarily because of the open houses and free food. And so... Um, it's been great. I think we should have open houses every weekend. Uh, it really helps with our food budget. So thank you for that. And, um, but what a great day uh, today is um, to be able to celebrate that. We know that some have already graduated. Others will be doing so in the future. And so know this, our covenant children, we will be continually praying for you all and look forward to seeing what happens and what the Lord does through you in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. Well, this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to look at discipleship one last Sunday. Um, not that we're never going to talk about discipleship again, but we're going to look at it one last Sunday. The next Sunday is Pentecost. Uh, and then after that, we're going to do a couple of shorter series during the summer. We're going to take a look at the book of Ruth uh, during much of June, uh, which will be great. I love the book of Ruth. And then uh, in July, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. Uh, and so I'm just to kind of give you a little heads up as to what's coming ahead. Uh, and so, but today, we are going to take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Um, it's oftentimes called the Great Commission. And so I invite you to hear these words. This is how Matthew closes up his book. He says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you on this beautiful Sunday morning. What a blessing it is to see the sun shining on a Sunday and a reminder, Lord, of the warmth that is here. We thank you, Lord, for this earth, for the creation that you have made out of love for us. And it is out of this understanding of your love for us that we gather this morning to give you praise. I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts, our minds to you. And that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So as I said, we've been talking quite a bit lately about discipleship. And the reason why we've been doing that is because... We think it's important periodically to go back and to remember why it is that we are here, why we do what we do. 
And also, of course, it's because we have new folks that are coming in uh, to the fold here at ZPC. And so it's always helpful to kind of help them to understand this is what's really important to us. What, is, have been, what has been important to ZPC since its birth is this kind of, is this sense of discipleship. Right? We're called together by God to make disciples, right? And then release them for service in our broken world. So we believe strongly in the importance of discipleship and becoming a disciple. Now, what we also know is that words like disciple can easily become just buzzwords. Words that sound good, words that make us feel good, but we don't actually know what it really means and we may not actually do anything with it. And so that's why we've been saying, okay, let's kind of break this up. What is a disciple Well, a disciple is one who is being shaped more and more like Jesus, as well as one who is building for God's coming kingdom. Shaped like Jesus, building for God's kingdom. You know, because we've been talking about this, this comes from Scripture. This is not something that we here at ZPC are just kind of making up. Now, what we also realize is that that can also just sound good. Hey, great, let's be shaped like Jesus. Hey, fantastic, let's build for God's kingdom. But it's really no good unless we know how We do that. How exactly can we become shaped more like Jesus? How exactly can we build for God's coming kingdom? And so what we have been saying is that our strategy or the way that we see this happening is what we see the way that Jesus worked, right? Which, first of all, Jesus did this through relationships, right? Jesus was continually forming relationships. He he came to earth in order to be in relationship with us. And so we believe and we have to ask ourselves, how good of a job are we doing here at ZPC at cultivating relationships with each other, uh, with Jesus, with our neighbors, in our community, in our world? How are we doing at cultivating relationships? And one of the things that we also realize is that relationships don't just happen either. And so we realize that in order for that to happen, in order to be forming relationships, there needs to be a sense of invitation, a sense of, of being inviting, So we've been talking a lot about the fact that we have to be a people much like Jesus. Jesus said continually, come and see and follow me. Jesus was always giving the invitation. You can't just hope for relationships. You have to actually invite. I love a pregnant pause. You have to invite. But again, invitations don't just happen either. You can't just invite into the air And so what we said a couple weeks ago is, as we see Jesus working, we see the sense of, especially with the early disciples and then the early church in Acts, we see the sense of them gathering together in relationship, being in close proximity, and then scattering out with intention to see others who are out there and to pay attention, to be intentional about seeing others whom we can then invite. And what we said is if you think about that image, it's an image of gathering and scattering and gathering and scattering. And it is much like inhaling and exhaling. It is breath. And I love that image because in my mind, what gives life and breath to the church is when it is gathering and scattering, when it is inviting and when it is cultivating relationships. This is what gives life and light to the church. And so that's what we've been continually focusing on. We, we don't want to be a church that just talks about, oh, great, let's make disciples. Who, that's not helpful. We need to know how do we go about doing that. Because as we begin to understand that more deeply, we will then become stronger and more alive.
And so this week, as we kind of end this kind of brief look at discipleship, I thought it would be a good idea to look at Matthew 28, because it's this great reminder of just how important discipleship is to Jesus. Now, why do we know it's important? Well, we know it's important, well, first of all, because Jesus at this point in Matthew 28, he's just been raised from the dead. Well, not just, but he has been raised from the dead, and he is about to go up to be with his father. And so he is about to leave. And you know, you've probably left, right? I'm going to be, I'm heading tomorrow it is to Uganda. And you know what happens, right? Right before you go on a big trip, right before you go away, you, you say some things to those you love, right? You say important things, right? Like, I love you, right? That's what I'll say to all to the kids and to my wife tomorrow. What else am I going to say to the kids? Behave. Please listen to your mother, Right? Because there's nothing worse than being far away and then coming back and being like, oh, the kids aren't, you know, they're not behaving. That's, that's a nightmare, right? So behave, right? And you say all of these really important things right before you go. So here we have Jesus. He's about to depart. And so we realize he's saying some important things. And what does he say to them? He says, go and make disciples. Now, I'd not really thought about this all that much, but this week as I was doing some reading, there are a couple of folks who pointed out the fact that this, that, that going and making disciples is no simple, easy, quick task. Jesus could have said, okay, just go and preach or go and have a revival event. And there's nothing wrong with having a revival event. There's nothing wrong with preaching. One amen? None? Now, thank you. Not even from Shelton. Come on, Scott. I need you here. Those are fine, but those are actually relatively quick and easy. But making disciples is a lengthy process. It reminds me of something we've been talking about, just kind of this undiscovered or this discovered kind of thing that we talked about starting from Palm Sunday, which was when we talked about the donkey, remember? And what did we say the donkey was? Steady, stable, and plodding, right? Steady, stable, and plodding. Nicely done, guys. And so, it's good to know people are listening. And so, there's a sense that this is a part of what discipleship is. I wish it was quick and easy. I wish that you could be shaped like Jesus, just like plastic surgery, right? And in just a moment, boom, I look more like Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice? It does not happen like that. Right? Building for God's kingdom, where we get in trouble is when we try to cultivate or build for God's kingdom really quickly and easily without engaging with people. Relationships are not quick and fast, at least not healthy ones. They are steady, stable, and plodding. The, prior, the part of discipleship, or discipleship, it's much less like a microwave and much more like a crock pot. Right? You can't just push a couple buttons and then all of a sudden, you know, it beeps and you're a disciple. It is slow and it is steady and it is plodding. It is steady, stable, and plodding. Right? And this is a part of discipleship that we have to remember. Relationships, inviting, gathering, and scattering. It is a slow process. But here's what is interesting about this. They, they're gathered together, right? Which, of course, uh, uh, we would want them to be because we've talked about that. They're gathered together. But did you notice that the gathering is not perfect? Now, Matthew could have easily glossed over this fact. But what Matthew does not say, he doesn't say the disciples went to Galilee. What does he say? Do you remember? He says a number. The 
11 went to Galilee. Where's the 12th one? Who was the 12th one? It was Judas. Right? The one who has betrayed Jesus. Now, now, now Matt could have, Matt, we're close. He could have easily, he could have easily just glossed right over that, right? Just moved right all oh, was the disciples. Let's just act like nothing to see here, that there's only 11, but he didn't. He wanted us to understand from the beginning that there was something that wasn't quite right, that this gathering was not perfect, right? It wasn't three, a perfect number. It wasn't seven, a perfect number. It wasn't 12. He wants us to remember that all was not perfect, even for Jesus. Dale Bruner has this great line where he says that the number 11 limps. That reminded me of when we talked a while back about Jacob and Esau. Remember when Jacob was, he wrestled with the Lord and then he walked with the limp and he was about to meet Esau, his brother who he was afraid probably hated him. They had all this animosity built up over all of these years. And one of the things we talked about then is that perhaps a part of the reason why they were able to be in relationship was because of the fact that Jacob was a very different person for lots of different reasons. But one of those was he now walked with a limp. It is much more inviting to be in relationship with others who don't act as if everything is perfect or they have everything figured out. There is a grace in the fact that Matthew wanted us to remember that those that had gathered were not perfect. We talk about this a lot here. In our communities, we spend a lot of money to pretend that everything is perfect. And oh, what a gift it is when you can be a part of a community that says, we don't have this all figured out. But of course, Matthew doesn't end there, does he? Matthew seems to revel in being brutally honest. Because he goes on in this passage and he says, not only were they not perfect, not only, right, did they not have everything done perfectly. He says this, he says, they gathered, they worshipped, which of course is a part of becoming a disciple, growing in discipleship. He says, they worshipped, but some doubted. What is wrong with him? Right? Why would you put that in? You realize what the, what the Gospels are trying to do is to convince us that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that we should follow him. Any PR person, any advertisement person is going to tell you, if you want people to do that, only say everything is great. Do not include that some who could actually see him doubted. Right? That's tomfoolery. We wouldn't do that. But I love the fact that he reveals this reality that some, even there gathered, they doubted. And a part of the reason why I love that is because oftentimes we in the church have such pressure, internally and externally it seems at least, to act as if we never doubt, as if we never struggle, as if we do have everything figured out. Just this week I was meeting with a guy who I don't know all that well. Um, I don't know much about him. I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus. I don't know if he goes to church somewhere. I mean, I don't, that's not usually the way I start conversations with people. And so, I, but he knows I'm a pastor. And so he said, you know, kind of the introduction that, or the, the, the hello as you do. Hey, what do you know, Rev? And I said, whenever people say that to me, I don't, not much. Because I really just don't know that much. 
And, 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 and so he kind of laughed, and then he was like, well, wait. He's like, you're supposed to be the one who knows. You're supposed to be the one who has all the answers. And certainly there are some, he was somewhat joking, but there are some who think, well, pastors should have all the answers. But I also think that there's an immense pressure in the church for us to, at times, at least act as if we, we never struggle, as if we never doubt, as if when things are going against us, we don't wonder, where is God in the midst of this? But again, what Matthew wants us to do is he's inviting us. He's saying, oh, you have doubts? <laughs> Look at the early church. The people who could see Jesus had doubted. But they're still gathering. They're still worshiping in the very midst of that. This is discipleship. It's not made for the perfect people. It's made for the rest of us. And then did you notice how Jesus responded to these doubters? What does he say? Jesus, right after Matthew says, you know, they worshiped and some doubted. Jesus doesn't say, what is wrong with you doubters? He doesn't say, okay, I want everybody who, who, who on a scale of 10, whose faith is eight or higher, you go out. The rest of you rapscallions, you stay here because you are embarrassing to me. What does he say to all of them? It's a two-letter word. Start with a G. There we go. Go and make disciples. See, what Jesus understands is that you can't just gather long enough until you become a perfect disciple so that then you can scatter. You can't do enough worshiping until you've got it all figured out and then you can go. You can't do enough Bible reading or Bible study and then once you've got it really all figured out, then you go out and you scatter and you make disciples and you love your neighbor and you go out on mission. No, no, no. Jesus says, okay, I, I'm going to meet you right where you are. And I know you, maybe you're doubting. Clearly, you are, some of you are doubting. You just go out anyways. A part of what strengthens our discipleship is the process of going out and coming back. And I want you to know, I think that's especially important for us in this area. Because here's one of the things that I have discovered. That people at ZPC, they want to know everything before they engage in something that is going to make them nervous. So I've served three churches. I've done, I'm going to bring up elders because I love elders. Uh, and, 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 and yeah. So we, we go on, ses- we, have, we have session retreats. You know what? And I've done session retreats at three different churches. But here's the thing. Our elders, before we go off, they're like, all right, what are we doing? We want to know what are we learning? What are we going to talk about? Who all is going? Where are we going to be? Is there a schedule? Can I get an itinerary? And they go on and on and on. They want to know everything. What is so much fun is not telling them anything. Oh, it absolutely kills them. Kills them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se. It's good to have a thirst for knowledge. Our folks here, they have a thirst for knowledge. They want to know what's happening. And that's beautiful. But it can also be paralyzing. Because what happens in discipleship is I think that sometimes we are nervous to go out. We're nervous to invite people into relationship. We're nervous to talk to anybody about Jesus. We're nervous to do all those things because we want to make sure that we have every single question. What if they ask this? What if they do this? What if they look at us and say, well, you're not perfect. Why are you talking to me about this? What if they do all these things? We want to wait until we have every I dotted and every T crossed. And then we can go out and love others. Then we can go out on mission. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. 
Wherever you are, I know you don't yet know all of the answers, but this is the beautiful thing. Just go and see what happens. Will there be times when we're vulnerable, when we mess up? Absolutely. And that's embarrassing to us all. But it won't kill us. And it will help us to actually be shaped more like Jesus, to build for God's kingdom. One of the greatest issues that we have on mission, those of us who are of the ilk of us, is that when we go out to do mission, we oftentimes think we have it all figured out and we are going to help you. And when you feel the sense of vulnerability, it forces you to listen much more often than it does if you think you've got it all figured out. And it is then that you actually begin to really build for God's coming kingdom. And so this whole part of discipleship, this whole quest for discipleship is this quest for being shaped more like Jesus, for building for God's kingdom. And it happens imperfectly at times. Most times it's not completely perfect. It is steady. It is stable. It is plodding. And yet, as we cultivate relationships, as we invite others into relationship, as we are gathered and we are scattered, we are fulfilling the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. I like the idea, and even not as so much as taking scripture and putting it to where we are, I like the idea of thinking about all of us being caught up in the middle of the scripture, in the middle of Matthew 28, and thinking that Jesus is speaking to us, right to us here at ZPC. But now here's the thing. Tom Long would suggest that not only when we are relational and invitational and respirational breathing, gathering, scattered, not only then are we about the mission of Jesus Christ, but we are also, we are also living into and becoming more deeply immersed into the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I know the Trinity can be a very confusing things, thing for us. And so I, I'm not going to be able to answer every question that you have about the Trinity. We talked about it very briefly a few weeks ago. But here's what I want you to remember, again, about the Trinity. That at its core, it is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this divine family in relationship. What we see like at, at Jesus' baptism is the greatest kind of depiction. You see God the Father looking down at Jesus and saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. You see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down in order to be with Jesus. It is this sense of loving relationship. And through baptism and discipleship, the more we grow in that, the more we are immersed into that loving relationship. Remember what I said a few weeks ago that the early church uh, uh, theologians would call this perichoresis, dancing around. Eugene Peterson says it's a bit like a folk dance, you know. Um, uh, you know, folk dance, you've probably been to one at least, right, where you see one dancer, you can watch, you know, him or her, and they, they do it beautifully, they dance wonderfully. And then as you kind of take a step back, all of a sudden as the music picks up, if they're really good at folk dancing, they begin to weave in and out. They begin to hold their hands and then release them. They begin to twirl. They do all of these things so that you almost can't define one. It's like it's one group working together. This is a part of the dance of the Trinity. And I want to suggest to you that when the church is truly engaged in discipleship of being shaped like Jesus, of building for God's kingdom, when we are truly inviting and in relationship and gathering and scattering, it is much like entering into this beautiful dance. 
Now, several years ago, I told you all the story, and I've told a lot of members' classes since then. The story of the image is this image that always comes to my mind when I think about this sense of Trinity and the sense of what it looks like if we were a healthy, or what it looks like, what a healthy disciple-making church looks like. It happened in, in, in Edinburgh when I was living there for a year, and, and, and I was walking around with some other expats um, um, around the, uh, the University of, of Edinburgh. It was a Thursday night or a Friday night. I can't really remember. Um, and so we were, we were walking around, and all of a sudden we heard this music. And it was coming from, from, from one of these kind of beautiful Gothic buildings, kind of down a little bit in one of these rooms. And so um, um, I was, you know, we were like, hey, I wonder what that is. And, and so there were some Canadians that were there. And, 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 and uh, you know, I always find that Canadians are usually big risk takers, which happens um, when, you're st- when you're right next to America. And so I'm just kidding. That's just a Canadian joke for some of the Canadians around here. So, but it's actually kind of true. It has been my experience. They, they, they're always more than happy to take risks, more risks than I would take. And so they said, hey, let's go hear what's going on. And I was thinking, man, we're totally going to get kicked out. This is not good. And they said, no, let's just go. So they, so they went. They went through the door. I didn't want to be out by myself. So I walked through the door as well. And, and I came in and it looked like, kind of like, a, like an old elementary school gym. Actually, I was just at the Eagle Elementary uh, gym earlier this week. And uh, it looked very much like that. You know, like it has a stage where maybe they would do some plays. And then the rest of it is just kind of like a smaller gym area. And up on the stage, there were these musicians. And they were playing kind of this Celtic music, you know. So you had a fiddle. You had some pipes. I don't remember all the different instruments. It was just, it was obviously very Celtic. And, and then on the floor, you had these dancers. And they were doing this kind of folk dance, right? It's, uh, it's a Celtic folk dance. And what is that called? Good. See, you don't know. It's called a Kaylee. C-E-I-L-I with a little apostrophe D-H. It makes no sense. I don't know how they get that out of Kaylee, but it's Kaylee, right? And so, so it was this Kaylee, and there they were, and they were dancing. And, so, and so, so we walked in. The Canadians, I mean, they dove into the actual dance. They're crazy, right? And I was like, oh, this is not good. So I found off in the corner there was this kind of shadow, right? Because it was a little bit dark. And so I, I went over to the shadows, right? And I just kind of watched, and a lot like what Eugene Peterson said, when you began to just look at one of the people, right, you could kind of see the beauty of, of, of what they were doing. And uh, I mean, not the Canadians had no idea what they were doing, but, the, but, but, but you could kind of see. But, but then when you also looked at the whole group, right, you could see like there was this kind of beautiful sense. As to, it was like one group working as one body. And I was still kind of nervous. I still said, this is not, this can't end well. And so I stood kind of in the shadows. But you know what happens, right? When you begin to hear music, when you, when you hear especially kind of Celtic music, and you, if you like Celtic music, even if you don't, there's a certain rhythm to it, right? And so when you're listening to a song long enough, what happens? Your body just begins to respond. It begins to move. Sometimes it starts just with a foot, right? And then sometimes, especially, you, I mean, you can do this without even knowing. You just, you're just like, you guys ever do that? No? All right, fine. So, right? But you can't help it, right? And you just kind of, you got to look at them. And I mean, they, you should have seen, they were, I mean, they were having a great time. I mean, they were just happy. They were smiling. And, and I was just like, I was in the shadows still, but I was like, oh, yeah, right? And it was great. But they were still really far away from me. And there was still no way that I was going to join them. But then they started doing something a little bit different. They did this different dance. It was a different song. And so they did this thing where they, what they would do is they would begin to kind of come together. And then they would go out. 
and then they would all come together, and then they would go out. We did this kind of rough, kind of rudimentary uh, animation of this. I want you to see it, right? So if that was the stage, that's, see me, I'm the yellow dot down there. And so that's me in the shadows. Yep, you see that, you see that. So, so, so here it is, right? And so you see it was a kind of a dance like this where they would go out to a point, and then they would come back. But you notice that what happens when they do that is that they keep getting, they, they, they got closer to me, right? And then they would go back, and then they would get closer to me, and then they would go back, Right? And so they weren't there yet, but, but I mean, they were getting closer, right? And I was just like, all right. And by this point, the Canadians, they're, they're, you can tell they're starting to finally get it, right? And so it's like, and they're just like, they're just smiling. And I'm like, oh, I want to be a Canadian, right? I mean, it would just look great. But even though they were really close to me, here's the thing. They weren't yet close enough. They're, they're, they were still, it was great, but they were still seemed pretty close. And then something began to happen. I'm not making this up. Then something began to happen, which is that when they got to the point Right? When whoever was at one of those three points, this would happen. It's a very simple move. Just this. And they would just reach out a hand. Even if there was nobody there, when they reached to the point, it's a part of the dance. You just go like this. And then you would go back in. And then you would go out to the next point and you would just. And so I said to myself, okay. If one of them comes close to me, and reaches out a hand, I'm going to grab it. And so you see, we, we have this here. I want you to see this as well. Let's, uh, this is, this is uh, now, now look, I'll be honest with you. This looks a little bit more like Pac-Man than a hand. But nonetheless, uh, 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 this is what we have. And so you can see the dancers. You can see me over there. And there's this invitation, right? It usually doesn't happen the first time. You have to be steady, stable, and plodding about your invitation, especially for those who are afraid of it. But they kept kind of doing it. They would get close until finally, boom, I joined, right? And all of a sudden, I'm a part of this dance, and it was incredible. Now, here's the thing. I had no idea what I was doing. And so sure enough, they would go left, and I would think I was supposed to go right. And I would go right, and they would say, no, left. But do you know why I knew, oh, no, no, I got to go the other way? Because I was holding their hand. I was in relationship with them, which meant, no, 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 we're, no, we're going this way, Jerry. No, no, come on. Come on, American. We're going this way, right? And they held close to that. We stayed there, and I was a part of this dance. Now, nobody coerced me. Nobody pushed me from behind. They just sat there, and they were the dance. They moved, and they were the dance, and it was alive, and it was joyful, and I said, I want to be a part. But no matter how much I wanted to be a part, I did not join until someone got close enough and reached out a hand. You see, I think that this is exactly what the church looks like when it is healthy and it is making disciples. Is that it is a church that is so full of life and joy. It is a church that is breathing and dancing. It is a church that is coming out and is holding out a hand. And if no one takes it, that's fine. They'll go back and they come in with great joy to celebrate who Christ is. And then they go back out and they reach out a hand again. And this, it seems to me, is the image of what it looks like to be a disciple-making church and a church that is reflecting the love and the grace of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
You see, it's a community not full of perfect people, but a community who is committed to cultivating relationships with Jesus and with one another. It is not a perfect community by any sense. It's not a community that gets everything right, but it is a community who is not afraid to invite. It is a community who says, okay, we're not just going to focus on gathering, on worshiping. We're not going to just focus on mission. We are going to focus on both of those things because we know that as we gather And we scatter. We take in the breath of the Spirit of God and we become more alive. Not only do we become more alive, but those in our community and our world become more alive as they they are drawn into the dance of Jesus Christ. And so as we continue in the days, weeks, and months ahead, I want you to know that just as it has been since uh, ZPC's birth, we are going to continue and even more strongly look at our ministries, look at our building, look at our programs, look at all of those things and asking how are they doing at cultivating relationships? How inviting is our building? How inviting are our ministries? How relational are they? How much are we encouraging people to go out into their neighborhoods and into the community and into the world? Because the more that we can begin to take on this rhythm, the deeper we will grow in discipleship. And I believe the greater we will grow even in number as we invite more and more people into the dance of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, it will make a difference, not just in our lives, but it will make a difference and give life and breath to those wherever it is that we may go. This is the rhythm of discipleship. And for those who are willing to dance, sisters and brothers, it can change not just a night. It can change their life and their eternity. Amen? Let us pray. God, it is sometimes so easy to get caught up in doing church that we forget the why. It is easy sometimes, Lord, to forget to ask the question of how. And when that happens, Lord, we lose breath. We lose life and energy. So I pray that you would be with us this morning and in the days ahead. Give us the courage. Give us the clarity to understand what it means to truly build and to create and to make disciples that others may experience the joy of following you. The joy of being with a community that is dancing because we know the difference you have made in our lives and the difference that you can make in the lives of others. May we be committed to this discipleship. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.